You're listening to the Show Racism the Red Card podcast, challenging racism in sport and society. Welcome to episode four of the Show Racism the Red Card podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weber. In this episode, we speak to former professional footballer Anwar Udin for part two of the Asians in Football series. Amar shares his experiences of being one of the first British Asian players and talks about the Fans for Diversity campaign that aims to encourage more ethnic minorities to get involved with football. To join in with the discussion or to ask a question, you can email us at podcast at theredcard.org or hashtag SRTRC podcast on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. So, Amar, welcome to the Shoresh and Card podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing recently in terms of the diversity campaign. So, I lead on the Fans for Diversity campaign, which is a campaign which is run in partnership with the Football Supporters Federation and Kick It Out. And in short, it's about working with football fans to try and make the game as inclusive as possible. Football fans are the heart and soul of football in this country, and there are so many good ideas, initiative, campaigns, organisations, charities that are also trying to you know, make the game more inclusive and make society more inclusive. And we wanted to really get fans involved in that kind of battle. And has there been a positive response with people getting involved with the programme? Like, like everything, when you start a new campaign, and literally I started from scratch, um, having left um, show racing red card as a sessional worker and, and got this role, had to start a campaign from scratch, give it a name and identity. And when you start contacting clubs and fan groups to try and give them an insight as to what you'd like to do and how you want to do it, it's always a little bit slow to start off with. But, you know, four years in, the amount of work that we're doing, the amount of reach all over the country and the appetite for fans to get involved in actually making football as inclusive as possible has been absolutely amazing. I'm really proud to, one, to have set up the campaign and, and two, to see it grow because... People want you know, the world to be a better place. People want to be able to go to a football match on a Saturday and enjoy it and, and, and create a welcoming atmosphere and get everyone else to come in and play and watch also. So it's about getting everyone involved in that battle to make things better. That sounds fantastic. And uh, how, anyone kind of listen to the podcast, a club or an individual, how could they get involved uh, with, it, with that initiative? So contact me uh, via email. I'm on anwar.udin at fsf.org.uk. Check out the Fans for Diversity campaign. And obviously I'm on social media now. I've uh, joined a campaign. I thought I'd start a Twitter account. So I did that four years ago. It's quite addictive. So now I'm on Instagram as well. So yeah, there's, there's, there's numerous ways you can get hold of me. But if, you, if you're interested in football and inclusion and equality, or you know you work within the community and you want to get more people involved in the game, it's, it's such a um, kind of a broad campaign where we, we just want people to enjoy the game, get involved, go and watch and feel comfortable to do so. So please do get in touch. It's definitely something that would interest most, I'm sure. Fantastic. And um, you were a professional footballer, obviously yourself, one of the first uh, British Asians uh, to play professionally and also uh, the first British Asian to captain the football club in the top tiers, I believe. Um, tell us a bit about your, your career and, and kind of how you got into it and how you you know, ended up becoming a professional player? Well, obviously, I got into football uh, accidentally, really. I mean, I just enjoyed playing it as a kid. It was something I loved to do, and I, I was very good at it. And I ended up going uh, to West Ham as a 13-year-old through the kind of school system. So I played for my school, got picked for the district, got picked for the county, then had England trials, 
And all of a sudden, I was going to England trials at the age of 11 and 11, 12. And I wasn't attached to a professional club. And all of a sudden, all the professional clubs at the England trials were like, OK, this, this young lad's not attached and let's get him on board. So I was really, really fortunate in that it was something I just enjoyed. And, you know, at 12, 13, I had all these Premier League clubs knocking on my door. And my parents were like, wow, what are you doing? You know, you're going to play football for school. And now we've got, you know, Arsenal, Man United, Tottenham and West Ham asking you to to sign forms with them. So it all it all became very serious very quickly. But chose to go to West Ham, my local side, and a side that arguably had the best generation of young players at the time. And I was there for seven years and then went on to play for Sheffield Wednesday, Bristol Rovers, Dagenham and Redbridge, Barnet. As a player, you want to play. And playing at the highest level, it was a privilege to be involved in a Premier League team. I was in the first team for two and a half years. I won the FA Youth Cup there. Had some unbelievable memories and played world-class players. But the pursuit is always to play football. And sometimes you have to move to enable yourself to be able to get that opportunity, uh, which I did. Uh, grateful for the experiences to play all over the country at different levels. And then retired at the age of 31 after a, a really bad injury at Barnet. And during your career, were you ever treated any differently because of your background? Well, most definitely. I think it's hard to uh, argue against that, really, because I literally was the only Asian player I ever come across. I was the only Asian player that you know was in an environment. You know, I'd walk into clubs, and there was never any Asian coaches, Asian managers, Asian staff, and because of my name, because of the way I look people were really intrigued by me. You know, it was almost a bit like a circus act. You know, wow, there's an Asian kid playing. He's playing for West Ham United. Wow. He's... And it was just a bit like that. And for years, there was a lot of um, attention kind of brought on me for that reason alone. And people knew who I was because I was an Asian football player as opposed to a good football player. Um, so it was, it was a unique experience. And with that, obviously, comes, um, comes difficult situations. I mean, like I say, in every changing room, you know, the understanding of religion, uh, the acceptance of terminology. People didn't really come across Asian people in that environment. So people were using offensive terms and offensive words and people would talk quite derogatory about the Asian community, the Muslim community. And because, they're, you know, I was the only Asian player in that environment and all of a sudden people started to stop and think, oh, Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But that's something I just got used to. It's really, really unfortunate. And I would, I'd be very disappointed if it happens today in this environment. But, you know, it's tough. But having said that, you know, you've got to make a choice. And my dream was to become a pro. And I wouldn't stop at anything, you know, to do that. So when I went to football, when I went to a club, it was all about, right, what am I here for? I'm here to work hard, train and get better and play well. And you've got to be very narrow-minded. But it is, it is quite sad. I mean, looking back, I have two children now and uh, they both play football. They both love football. And I, I really, really enjoy watching them play on a Sunday and at training. But, you know, I never ever had my father come watch me because some of the things he would hear, some of the abuse he would get. And it weren't over-aggressive at times. It was like the comments and people, you know, were, were, were sort of made fun of the fact that, I and he were Asian, what we're doing here. And as a young kid, it's hard to take and hard to understand. So I just ended up just sort of going and doing it on my own, really, because I just didn't want the added, you know, headache of thinking, is my dad okay? Is anyone saying anything? And it was quite, it's it's hard to to think back now, but that's just the way it was. Uh, As you grow up and you go into men's football and you're playing at senior level, it's different, you know, when you're in a, you know, a captain of a club and you're well-respected, all of a sudden it's like, Yes, I'm Asian. I'm proud of it. And, you know, what, what about it? 
you know, you embrace who you are. But I think as a kid, it's very, very difficult, you know, with all those circumstances. But like I said, you know, if you're good enough and you are strong enough to deal with all those added barriers, then there's an opportunity. It's just a little bit harder than it would be for most. And you mentioned some of the barriers and some of the examples that, that you experienced. But did you ever feel that you had to be that much better because of your background? And, of course, added to the fact that without your dad being around as well, did that impact on your career and your performances? Yeah, of course, of course. Listen, in an ideal world, you know, your average player would just go to football, have the support around him, have the finance back in, you know, be able to be taken to a football match and just, just play football and hopefully physically is able to compete and be good enough. Um, I had to be better than everyone else, simple as that. I had to stand out. And as a coach and as a player looking back, you know, if you've got two individuals that you have to pick from, you know, what stands out? Why would you take one over the other? And I just had to make sure that I stood out from the rest. And obviously being Asian, I, I used it as a, as a positive. I am different. I'm going to stand out uh, from the rest. But I had to be better than everyone else. That's just the mindset that I had. I had to be bigger, stronger, faster. I had to work harder. Because of the fact I was Asian, it didn't it didn't bother me. All those spurs really told me that I have to work really, really hard to achieve what I have to achieve. And because of my background, it may be a little bit harder, but so be it. You know, that wasn't going to make me foul. You know, actually, I saw it as an incentive. And I think if you have a negative mindset about that, then it will be a lot harder because you're basically going to be running uphill. The way I saw it was, yeah, this is an uphill battle, but how great is the view going to be when I'm at the top? because there isn't any Asian players. So what a fantastic, a fantastic opportunity it would be to have a career as an Asian player and to prove to everyone that, right, you've never played with or against an Asian player, but you're going to play with me or against me now, and I'm going to give you a positive experience of what an Asian player, what an Asian person is in this environment. And I think the more of them we have, will start to really almost smash this kind of the negative stereotypes that I hear so much about Asian football players because... I think you've got to take every single individual as an individual and not, you know, lean on stereotypes. That's just being quite lazy. And as you've mentioned, everybody's experiences are different and you've shared some of the examples that you've had. But what's your thoughts on some of the barriers that young players might have in today's game uh, and even professional players? I just think everyone's got to be open-minded. And I think, you know, I've always believed in the meritocracy. You know, if you are good enough, you're going to get an opportunity. And I think football is a cutthroat industry where, you know, managers are six games from the sack. Teams can get promoted and relegated. And, and I'm talking about a humongous sums of money, you know, we're talking about can be won or lost. So if you've got someone that can benefit your team, benefit you as a manager, you have to be open-minded and allow them to, you know, to be in an environment where they are happy and they can play well for you. But I think over the years, I do think it's changing now, but over the years, I just don't think people have taken Asian football players seriously. Um, that may be because of their experiences, because of the unknown, but I do think there's been added barriers for them. And, you know, people have had this kind of negative stereotype, this negative mindset of who they are, what they can achieve and their ability. And I just think that needs to change. I think people need to be more realistic and give everyone an opportunity regardless of, of who they are. But I do think, you know, there is an element of, you know, there's different factors. You know, I can't say that there's one factor that has stopped Asian players playing football in this country over the last three generations. There's a combination of a few factors. And a lot of those factors are negative barriers that shouldn't exist, but they do and they have. Um, so it's about, you know, the players that have played over the last decade 
have managed to deal with those barriers and a lot haven't. And because of those barriers, they haven't played and haven't you know, been able to experience a career as a football player. But with all the work that organisations have done over the last 20 years, I can, I've lived through that change and I'm still involved in the game. So it is a lot better now. But I still think there's a lot to learn from um, from people's mindsets and, and the way they treat and, and, and their understanding of individuals. And one of the things that often gets brought up through these discussions is that culturally, Asian families hadn't seen traditionally being a professional footballer as a genuine occupation is that something that we're still seeing today or has there been a shift with the younger generations now that actually it can be something that can be a career path for young people yeah listen it's an interesting thing that because people always say to me you know asian parents and the asian community you know like to concentrate on education 100 percent, yeah but that's a trait of a good parent every parent wants their kid to do well in education and if my son says to me dad i want to play for may night i'll say okay son i will i will support you in your dream and help you achieve that dream but it's very very difficult probably 0.0001% of people in the world will, will be able to play for may night when they when they grow older so do that but also be smart be sensible because there's a whole load of careers that you can have in your life and education is imperative not just as a football player as a person so in recent times we've seen a real increase in bme players in the premier league and at professional level but there is still a real underrepresentation of asian players and particularly british asian players in the game what do you see is key in trying to improve this I think it has improved. Um, it's crazy to think that in you know, 1996, when I first signed for West Ham United, I was asked the question, so why are we now going to see loads more Asian players breaking through? I was confident at that stage, and I thought that in the next five to ten years, we would have more Asian players playing across the levels. And unfortunately, 20 years later, I'm still asked the same question, which in all honesty is, is quite amazing. Um, having said that, it is encouraging now that I'm managing non-league that I am seeing more Asian players playing at the lower ends of the game in non-league, which always disappointed me because playing at the top level is very difficult. Regardless of who you are, it's extremely hard because it's a global market now. When I signed for West Ham in 96, you know, the Premier League was in its infancy and all of a sudden the money was injected into the game. And now teams in the top three or four divisions can literally buy anyone from around the world. So you're competing with kids in Australia, South America, Spain. So that's really, really difficult. But there's no reason why we can't see homegrown grassroots British Asian players in non-league and the lower leagues if the highest level is difficult to achieve, which it is. So it's good that we see more um, in the lower ends of the pyramid. But it's difficult. You know, it is, it is difficult. And like I said, there are added factors for Asian players. So what is already very, very difficult is a little bit harder uh, for some. And that's not just on the pitch stuff. You know, it's the other stuff you have to deal with in preparation for being the best player. So it's disappointing for me that we've not got an England player, not got one or two Asian lads playing at top teams in the country. But it's only a matter of time. It's just a lot slower than I thought it would happen. And we're well aware of the underrepresentation of black managers in the game, but extending that then to, to Asian managers and coaches, is that something that we're going to see improved in the near future, or are we further away than that? Oh, I think we're a lot further away with that. I mean, the, if you look at managers at the highest level of football, they generally tend to be ex-players that have gone on to do coaching badges, a little bit of coaching, and then an opportunity comes to, to take the hot seat. So, you know, the primary kind of pathway is playing, 
then go into coaching and management. So if we don't have any Asian players playing or currently playing that have had a 10, 15-year career, that is going to be harder to maintain and achieve if you've not got that. But what we are seeing is a lot of sort of grassroots, younger players, younger Asian players that maybe not have made it at the top level of the game, going, doing their coaching badges, getting qualified to a very decent level, getting jobs in academies, getting jobs with the FA. And that's really, really good to see. And it would be good to see some of those individuals almost working in academies, working their way up. And it's a kind of like an indirect route to, to management and coaching. So I think people are making their way to the top. But like I said, it's it's a slow process because, you know, the numbers to start from are not great. You know, there's not that many A-license, pro-license Asian coaches. So, you know, the amount of Asian managers are going to be limited. But it's encouraging to see see more academy level and coaching in non-league. So long may that continue. And I think, you know, when we see more players, we will see more coaches and managers. Um, but for me, I also want to see more people in, in all sorts of uh, positions in the game, in governance, you know, at club level, at staff level, you know, I want I want football clubs to reflect the communities and the societies in which we live in, because that's only right. And I think when that happens, I think we will start to see real change. Because for me, as I said before, as a young Asian player walking into clubs, I never ever saw anyone that was like me ever for for years, decades, you know. And sometimes it was nice. I remember playing against Fulham. Uh, one Saturday and I bumped into Zesh Rem and it was like wow it was brilliant because it's like someone else that you've got someone else is similar someone who's had a, a, a similar upbringing and may have experienced some of the things you've experienced and ever since then you become friends and you help each other and you, and you give each other that support so I think it's um, it's definitely in a better place but you know it's going to be a little bit of a time before we have one or two Premier League managers and you're currently on that journey yourself, being a manager now. What is it like to be, I believe, as one of the highest-ranked Asian managers in the game at the moment? It's been a dream. It's been an absolute dream. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to take on the assistant manager's role at Barnet in League Two, and, and I made history by doing so, being the first British Asian to take on a management role. Um, I was a player, I was a captain of the club, and I was injured for, for long term. Martin Allen left, and the chairman kind of said, look, Anwar, can you, you know, you've done your badges, can you take the reins until we, we, we find a replacement? Um, Giuliano Grazioli, a former a teammate of mine, we brought him in to give me a hand. Uh, we were bottom of the league and we did really well when a new manager didn't come in till the next season because we did that well. And we, we, we stayed in the division at the last of the season. So, you know, for a 32-year-old to do that, you know, I really got a thirst for management and um, something that I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. Unfortunately, I couldn't really come back as a player because the injury was that severe. So I started to concentrate on my coaching and managing. And literally, I would take on any opportunity that would come my way because I just want to learn and develop. So I ended up at West Ham's Academy. I ended up managing different teams in non-league. I'll be doing my E-license and, you know, a crossroads really, whether I choose to do coaching full-time um, and try and aim to, to be an England Premier League manager um, but currently, I'm, I'm really enjoying my, my full-time role. So, non-league works perfectly. And kind of being in charge at a football club now, um, what kind of advice would you give to clubs uh, to kind of create that right environment to try and encourage not only Asian players, but other ethnic minority players, individuals, coaches, volunteers to, to get involved as well? I think it's really important to have that inclusive environment because my club is in a it's in London. It's in a good area. 
And if you have that kind of inclusive practice, if you have an environment where everyone's welcome, everyone enjoys it, you're going to be able to attract so many good players. And for non-league clubs, for small clubs, you need to be able to get every ounce of help you can. You know, so there's a there's an untapped talent pool of Asian players, players from different communities. If they can come and benefit my team, listen, anyone can play for me if you're going to make me better. And I think everyone needs to have that mindset because over the years, if you think about non-league especially, you know, there's pockets of, of this country where the Asian community is absolutely massive and football is huge. And there's specific Asian leagues that have been created and there's some Asian players that have just literally not been used or utilised and could have literally got players they could have they could have won leagues for non-league teams if they'd actually taken advantage of this untapped talent pool and I think smaller clubs are starting to realise that because there's some definite talent at grassroots football and that's why we're seeing more um, Asian players throughout kind of the lower lower ends of the pyramid which is really really good to see but it's about being inclusive you know anyone who has got a good attitude wants to work hard can come and play for me regardless of, of who you are and in terms of Asian fans from the communities and kind of linking in with the Fans for Diversity campaign, have you got any good examples of what clubs have done to engage with and encourage fans from the communities to attend matches? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know what? It's just a dialogue because it amazes me that we have some of the biggest organisations in the world in Premier League clubs, even as low down as Championship and League One, League Two clubs. The dialogue between the club and the community is minimal. So some clubs have a community arm and may go into schools and do some great work. But for me, it's about finding the proactive individuals in the community and saying, listen, doors are open. Football clubs are crying out for fans because fans help the club run. If there are no football fans, there is no atmosphere, there is no revenue for the clubs to exist. You can't just rely on rich, wealthy owners to bankroll a football club. So it's, imper- it's imperative. It's, it's great for cohesion. It's great for integration. But it also makes economic sense for clubs. And an example I can give you is like Bradford. I played in Bradford City's league as a Barnet and Dagnan player for about six to eight years. And I always remember going there on the coach, massively Bangladeshi community surrounding the uh, ground. Huge. It's so visible, very similar to how Upton Park was, pockets of Luton, Birmingham. And one thing about Bradford was amazing that even in League Two, they'd still pull in thirteen to 15,000 fans. So from a Dagenham and Redbridge and Barnet to play against a team like that with fans like that was amazing. But as an Asian player, I thought, OK, so if this community that surrounds the ground is ever going to step into this stadium that they can see from their kitchen windows and watch a game of football, it may be because playing as an Asian player maybe because Esh Raymond is playing as another Asian player played there also but it just never happened in six years that I played there and I was looking around, I'd literally look around the stadium to see that Asian face never saw it um, so when I got this job that was one of the first things I did out of curiosity more so went to see the club say look what's going on you know why is you've got massive community doorstep but no one's coming through the turnstiles and it was just a case of me then going into the mosque, community centre, meeting proactive individuals, finding out who the grassroots teams were, meeting them and saying, listen, here's a, a great football club on your doorstep. Literally, you can all see it from your bedroom windows. You know, get involved. Go and watch a great standard of football. And that relationship never existed. It was always like, you know, and while we were racially abused in the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, we still hear lots of remarks and there's certain incidents to happen. We kind of, it's them and us. We keep our space from them and they do their thing. For me, that is criminal. 
You know, I went to a community centre and there was um, over 100 kids playing football from 9 to 1 o'clock. At 1.30, they all went home and the football fans came in and went to the stadium. And then all the football, all the lads came out onto the streets, threw their jumpers down on the streets and started playing football again. Just before the game finished, I went out before everyone. The kids were Asian kids were all playing football outside and then picked up their jumpers, went back home. Football fans came out. Lo and behold, when it was all quiet, they came back out and played football again. That, for me, was just a crime. I thought, that no, that can't happen. Because even in the community centre, I had some fathers teaching their kids what offside was in this little hall. And I said, in, in two hours' time, you can be able to watch a brilliant standard of football in a brilliant stadium, and you can, you can teach the kids what offside is there. And it was about creating that dialogue, getting them to go and watch football, and all of a sudden... A relationship was created, which was unbelievable. And like we started a group called the Bangla Bantams, and it started off with monthly visits to the club. Then that went to weekly. Now they go home and away. They've got over six hundred members and people from around the stadium are no longer wearing Man United Liverpool tops. They're all wearing Bradford City tops because they go to the games. They know who their best players are at Bradford. They've learned a little bit about the history. And the stadium ain't this big spaceship that exists in the middle of the community. It's something they feel part of. And and the beautiful thing about that is, yes, they're getting involved in football, but they're also meeting and, 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 and getting to know the wider fan base who make up the city. And for me, that's just a recipe for success because it's about integration. It's about getting involved in the club. And if one of those young kids that go to Bradford now say to their mum and dad, I want to play for Bradford City, the mum and dad will go, well, that'd be great because I can come watch you. So they, they kind of get it, whereas before, you know, me saying to my dad, I want to play for, for West Ham, he just, he was so detached from the game because he was just put off by, you know, the National Front, you know, marching down, what, you know, coming outside his restaurant and smashing the windows. He just detached himself from the game. But now it's about reintroducing the community to football because the game is for everyone and I want everyone to embrace it. And I think if you look at it like that holistically, we'll start to see more players, managers, staff members, fans. You know, everyone is... Um, very taken back by the fact that there is a lack of players. But I want to see representation across the game, not just in a shirt. I want to see representation in a suit and tie at governance level. I want to see fans wearing Bradford City tops. That, for me, that, that, that's how we've got to do things. We can't be specific and look at a certain aspect of the game and concentrate all our efforts on that. Let's not, not leave any stone unturned because, like I say, everyone can enjoy the game. And if you go to Bradford City now, you've got elderly Asian men and women singing Bradford songs with Bradford shirts on. Four years ago, that didn't happen. And that's such a great success story, and it's certainly something that can be replicated across other clubs across the country and beyond that as well. And it just shows that when you give time to engage with the community and meet them, find out their needs, their barriers, and work with them, the impact that, that can have. And I know that there's been a number of other similar groups set up across the country, uh, such as Wolves, Derby and Newport County as well. So uh, that's fantastic and credit to the Fans for Diversity campaign as well. Uh, and while that's been a fantastic conversation and uh, I hope everyone who's been listening has enjoyed it as much as I have. You have been listening to the Show Racism the Red Card podcast. Subscribe now to receive future episodes and help other people discover this podcast by rating us on iTunes.